addicted. I'm curious how far into Persona 5 are you? Because that's one of mine, too. I hate to say this, but I, I've installed it on the hard drive. That's as far as I've Oh, way to be. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the RF Generation Playcast. I'm Gregos81 and this is our discussion of our game for May 2017. The PC point-and-click adventure game Siberia was positively received upon its release for its graphical art style and believable blend of reality and fantasy. In this episode, Rich and I are joined by four member and returning guests to the show, Addicted, to discuss whether Kate Walker's adventure is still worth embarking on today. Please remember to subscribe to us on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. You can listen to the show on iTunes and Podbean. As always, and most importantly, don't forget to log on to rfgeneration.com to join our playthroughs and discuss the awesome games we play together. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. this little uh shooting the bull session before we actually started talking about the game but uh for our listeners there the voice you hear may be familiar we've brought back on the show forum member addicted to talk to us about our game for the month and actually i'm sorry for commandeering the mic here rich you're the host of this one so what's going on sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) And Sean, I understand you had a pretty exciting weekend. Uh, yeah, it wasn't this week, this previous weekend, but the weekend before last, I went and saw a one of my favorite bands who've been mentioned on the show before, which is Shonen Knife. Oh yeah, 
And they didn't play Ghost Train, but... <laughs> Did you request it? Did you hold up a lighter? No, yeah. I just sat there screaming, Ghost Train, Ghost Train. No, but they played uh, a bunch of their old great... Like, they played Riding on the Rocket and a bunch of their classics. And then they played... Their last three albums are really, really good. And, you know, so they played a lot of the, the good songs off of those albums. Yeah. And... um they have a, this new drummer who's just ridiculous. She's like a freaking animal. And she just played with this gigantic smile on her face the entire time. And then she sang lead on this song called Green Tangerine. And it, it almost brought tears to my eyes. Like I was welling up. It was so powerful. And it's just this like dumb song about food, of course, because it's a Shonen Knife song. Yeah. But man, it was so sweet sounding. And they were just so good. Their stage presence is amazing. This is the second time i've seen them but um the first time i saw them was in kind of a bigger club and a friend of mine was with me and we were just kind of in the back just watching but this was at like a bar and we were really up front to witness it all and man just what a good show besides maybe kishibashi this is probably the best show uh that i've seen since i've been to austin so very cool can i ask a question did um that song bring as many tears to your eyes as the ending of siberia <laughs> <laughs> no not quite no <laughs> well <laughs> we'll get to that later <laughs> But no, that, that that was a hell of a show, man. Shonen Knife, man. Every time I they kind of fall off my radar, and then I realize, oh yeah, they're they're one of my favorite bands. They're so freaking good. Yeah, you were asking me about them on one of our earlier calls, and I haven't heard them in a long time, so I'll have to check out some of their new stuff. Um, you knocked me out of the park with the uh, Kishibashi recommendation, so uh, it's gonna trust this will be a good one as well. So we'll check that out. So if awesome. you've um, you just now tune into the show. We've got a guest on the show. He's one of our RF Generation longtime members, a great contributor to our gameplay discussions and our forums, and also works on the show as a writer for the front page, uh, Mr. Addicted. Hello. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, last time we had you on was E's episode. That was episode number 25, uh, and that was May of last year. So been just over a year actually it's very nice cool that you man. haven't forgotten about me in the closet yeah <laughs> so john how you been what you been up to man oh my goodness I, it's just everything's always in flux on here I, just like i'm sure everybody else here we've got work going on i'm uh working on a multi-million dollar project trying to replace our it infrastructure and then i'm doing our game room uh, i'm sorry my game room as my wife would call it my mess uh <laughs> Down, <laughs> downstairs here so that way i can be nice enough to be featured in the r of gen uh, wild game room appears yeah man i was gonna mention that um if you haven't uh, looked at the front page of the site in a while um uh, a few days ago which will probably be a few weeks ago by the time this podcast comes out uh started a new series that's called uh, a wild game room owner appears and basically what we're doing is we're just asking a nice list of questions that a lot of the guys from the website have posed to ask uh, people about their game rooms. And it's a pretty cool series, and we've had our first one out. It was on uh, one of our members, Neo Magic Warrior, 
And uh, I think a lot of people really enjoyed it. I think people on the site, as a really you know fun-loving community, really like learning more about each other and people's game room setups, how they do things. And I thought it would be a very interesting topic to see how everyone has their stuff laid out and organized and maybe give some people some suggestions about how to maybe improve their own game rooms. So yeah, man, I'll add you to the list. I've had about probably about 16 people contact me about... Yeah, yeah, so that, that's pretty good, considering how many people are fairly active on the site, and, you know, a lot of people are just kind of use the site as a database, but um, I, I was really pleased and really happy to start that series and continue it. Now, John, you've um, you've got an article coming out pretty soon. I'm sure it'll already be out by the time this comes out, so you want to talk a little bit about that? I thought it was very interesting. Sure, I mean, about around this time, as we've already discussed, you're going to be looking at E3, and there's... a I think I refer to it as where rumors meet the road. They're, yeah, they're <laughs> I like that. That was good. Everybody's talking about things for the Nintendo Switch, like that new, uh, very interesting Rabbids game that's been flying around. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Is that the Mario crossover? Yes. Apparently, yeah, I uh, heard about that. It's a Ubisoft-made Mario RPG sequel featuring Rabbids, but there's one of the Rabbids that's dressed up like Princess Peach that... Just as people tossing their lunch left and right, it's just not. <laughs> it, it's it's very odd game, but it's supposed to be turn based sequel to Mario RPG developed by Ubisoft. So it'll be interesting wow. to see how Aisha Tyler spins that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> aside from that, I mean, we're looking at Sony and what Sony's first party. Maybe we'll see something with Shenmue three on there. Probably some more indie announcements or Kickstarters from there. We have Sucker Punch, who hasn't done anything since Infamous. It'll be interesting to see what they're up to. We have Bioware, who hasn't really done anything in a while. We know that they're working on another Dragon Age. But there's some other, I can't remember what the project name is, but there's another open world RPG they're working on. And what else do we have? EA, of course, it's the summer of Star Wars with Battlefront 2, which they're going to push like crazy. If you're EA, why wouldn't you? The thing sold Game Busters. Probably asked Krabby, he probably made a throne out of all the used copies he had. <laughs> yeah, I saw a lot of those hit the shelves pretty quickly after it was released, though. So I know um, Battlefront players weren't extremely pleased with the game. And, you know, I'm not sure why. I, of course, I don't own a PS4, so I wasn't able to play it. But, uh, you know, I, I don't buy a lot of new games, but E3 was... Uh, for me, last year was the first E3 that I really, really got into, and uh, I'm going to have some downtime in the next few weeks, and uh, definitely going to be able to kind of kick back and watch E3 this year, and uh, I'm really excited about it. I don't know a lot about what's going on. I think, um, of course, your article's not out yet. I think it comes out June the 5th, I believe, is when you're slotted, yeah. and uh, you do a good job of like discussing each of the presenters and you know what you predict might come out and kind of what you're excited for, so it was a nice read. Okay. I get to read it because I'm the editor so that was, that was kind of nice uh the uh, fringe benefits of course of uh, doing that for the site but uh, uh sean you and i were talking the other night right about uh, maybe covering e3 again yeah we are thinking about doing another side episode of e3 hopefully we'll be significantly less intoxicated for this one <laughs> well i certainly will uh, yeah <laughs> So, yeah, no, it's exciting. It, doing that is a way to keep me interested in it because I'm usually not, I'm not like a hype train kind of guy. Yeah. I just find out about, oh, okay, they're making, you know, like when I found out they were making a new Nier game, I was interested until it came out and now I'm going to get it very soon. You know what I mean? I, I don't, I, I've never been the kind of person who's been like, 
oh, what abilities are you going to have in this game? What's it going to yeah. be like? Like, I, I don't know. But but when we did that show last year, it kind of made me just kind of step back and take a, an objective look at what, everything that was going on. And it was really fun. So, yeah, we should do that again. Yeah, which is sort of odd because as we're kind of taking a step toward it, it seems that like these presenters are kind of taking a step back. You know, people like Nintendo really aren't even doing a presentation anymore. They're just doing sort of uh, online reveals and things like that with Nintendo Treehouse. So it, it seems like we're kind of like showing up late to the game as people who are excited to see these presentations, whereas, you know, I think more and more um, we're seeing a bit of a cutback. I don't know. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's easier and cheaper. I mean, you control the message and you don't have to pay millions of dollars for the space. Yeah. Plus, you don't have to worry about quote unquote leaks, right? <laughs> Which I, I don't know that I quite buy that there are actual leaks. I think a lot of this stuff is sort of done on purpose just to stir up some drama but uh but anyway yeah i'm looking forward to that uh be interesting to see what comes out this e3 i kind of stay in the dark all year i don't follow a lot of video game news except some of the the main stuff that kind of comes out that i hear about on the forums but uh i'm a bit in the dark and i sort of like to keep it that way to uh, you know kind of be surprised as it gets revealed so um i guess guys we can move on to pickups Let's hear about uh, what everybody's picked up lately. John, you want to start out for us since you're our guest? All right, thank you. I have picked up quite a bit of uh, $2 Xbox 360 and PS3 games again, and uh, recently found another, although I didn't need it, I found another Xbox, original Xbox at Goodwill is 6 bucks. so said hey, why can't not. Hey, that up. No, but <laughs> now I, jeez, I, I, I went through and started cleaning everything. And get everything ready. I ended up with four Dreamcast, four Sega CDs, <laughs> four PS2s, and now I have four Xboxes. Oh yeah, and three Wii's. So I, I got to stop buying these extra systems. You don't like having a backup to your backup? <laughs> it's, all, it's to the backup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, it's one of those things where you can never be without a way to play Snatcher. It's always a good thing, but. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with all these things. I'm going to just need more people, apparently. Just like you did, Rich, I'm going to need to invite people over and say, come on, the systems are turned on, let's go. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, that would be good, man. And if uh, anything ever breaks on my end, I know who to call now for replacement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I also got a very nice uh, care package from Canada. Yeah, I had originally purchased a game from Krabby, and uh, there was a communication error where he ended up forgetting to throw in two games, so... I ended mm-hmm. up getting some Canadian variants of Choplifter and uh, I think it's Astro Warrior for the Sega Master System. Yeah, nice, man. That's a good shooter. It is, and I can't thank Krabby enough. He was very, very nice and helpful in there. Although, every time I see anything from him or do anything, I always end up listening to Dio. I don't know if that's... <laughs> <laughs> he has that weird effect on people. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he had a great article on the front page the other day about a convention that he helps run. He got to meet some really cool people, including Flash Gordon. So if you're ever by Art Generation, check out the front page. It's a great read. And uh, kind of gives you an idea of what it's like being on the end of someone helping to run a convention as opposed to an attendee, which is what I really liked about the article. So, um, And Sean, you had a pretty great article on uh, RF Generation, too, recently. Yeah, I I was really scrambling for a topic and I had I had this idea in my back pocket for a while that I'm going to write about this demo disc that I loved when I was a teenager and uh 
Yeah, it's a PlayStation Interactive something or other volume eight. And uh, I just wrote a a little piece on it that went up a couple weeks ago. And uh, I got a really good response. I think demo discs, uh, as I wrote, are something that are... They used to be ubiquitous Mm -hmm. with, you know, game systems. And now they're not. The physical demo discs are very uncommon now. So uh, I think that struck up a lot of nostalgia with a lot of people, and we had a cool little discussion about it. So Yeah, yeah. I, I especially thought it was a great article because you'd contacted me and said, well, I just don't, I don't know if this article's that great, and, you know, I'll, I'll have it posted soon. And I read it and everything, and I was like, man, this is fantastic because, you know, w- what makes an article like that cool is, like you said, like that nostalgia factor. And if you have some sort of personal connection to a game, uh, that you play as you're reviewing it, it often is a better read than just like a, you know, just like kind of a staunch review, like I do a lot of the time with my Atari games. But, um, right. but yeah, I thought it was really cool because so many people have a history of remembering those demo discs. You know, they used to come in like all these magazines and stuff. Sometimes you'd pay like $10 for a magazine just to get a demo disc. It was kind of crazy. But yeah, that was a big part of, you know, I don't want to say my childhood because I was a little older by then already. But, uh, yeah, definitely a great part of my uh, video game and history and memories. How about you, John? Big fan of demo discs? Do you collect them or anything? Absolutely. No, I don't collect them, but I definitely admire people who do. If you ever have a chance to look at this website, Giant Bomb, they do a lot of video reviews where they've gone back to old demo discs and sort of do running commentary on them. Some of them is quite funny. <laughs> I mean, I have a personal nostalgia for the PlayStation Underground. A friend of mine ended up getting a couple volumes of that, and I remember running through those discs or... I'm not sure about you, Sean, but for a while there, all I could afford was a PlayStation. Speaking of the PlayStation One itself, yeah. I didn't have, I didn't have, couldn't afford any games. In fact, I couldn't even afford a memory card port. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you played right. was that demo disc. Going, well, this would be fun to play the rest of someday. This would be great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great, man. Yeah, I came across a huge lot of them in a Goodwill. Priced at like two dollars a piece a little over a year ago, probably about a year and a half ago. And uh, I like to comb through them and see if I can find something like a demo disc for a game that's valuable mm-hmm. or sort of rare. And I did end up finding a demo disc that had Klonoa on it for uh, PS1, which I thought was kind of cool. Oh, nice. You know, and so, so I did cool. pick that up. I, again, I'm not a collector of those either. And had they been cheaper and had I got a good lot price for them, which they would not do for me, uh, I was trying to get them for a dollar a piece. I would have just bought them to sell to people on the website at the same price that actually collect those type of things, you know, because I know a lot of people do have some great nostalgia for those. Did you end up telling um, them that you knew Zag? Just go ahead. No. Listen, I know your biggest customer. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny for those who don't know uh, not members of RF Generation uh, we've got a member named Zag Norch who uh, is a very thrifty guy let's just say out in Silicon Valley and uh, man he has the most amazing scores I've ever seen from thrift stores it's pretty awesome it's fun to watch and he's quite the character too and a good guy to have on the site alright Sean how about you man when you picked up all right, it's going to take a while oh, well, to get comfortable. I don't know, man. Mine might take a while, too. <laughs> well, I feel like i got to make up for the past two shows because I've had nothing, really. I mean, I sometimes have gone like thrifting looking for stuff just so I can talk about it on the show. And I just want to throw out there, too, since we had Buried on Mars on the show on the previous episode and he mentioned finding that Japanese PS1, 
I usually pass up, like if I see a PS1 or a PS2, I don't buy it because I don't need it. But I now I check the region code on the back yeah, <laughs> because if I, I've never done that before, but he made me think I should do that. So I did see a PS2 a couple of weeks ago, but it was just, uh, you know, North America. So I let it be. If the price was right, I would just grab it for the sake of grabbing it, but it wasn't, you know, worthwhile for me. Yeah. So. I do that now. I thought that was a cool tidbit. So anyway, I didn't find anything thrifting, no surprise scores, but I went on a unprecedented spending spree in the past <laughs> month. Um, yeah, I got a and few texts starts, on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it starts with my, my beloved 50-inch plasma TV uh, dying on me, and uh, I tried to get it fixed. I couldn't fix it, so... I purchased a 55-inch 4K TV. I took a chance on a cheapy one. I got it for $300 from Walmart, but uh, it's great. I love it. Good. So the, the funny thing is I was saving up money for a PS4, and my TV died. So there goes my PS4 money. Um, but then as it turns out, you know, my wife had, uh, I won't get into it, but it's a little bit of a surprise financial windfall at her job. So all of a sudden I had PS4 money again. So I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I bought the one terabyte PS4 Pro. Nice. Um, yeah. So with that, I bought so many games. I wrote them all down. And oh, you know what? Before I get into the PS4 games, I, I do want to mention I picked up the Call of Duty Black Ops collection for PS3. I saw on probably cheap ass gamer on facebook that gamestop was selling this thing for 14.99 brand new and when i saw that i immediately reserved a copy at my local store and went straight there to pick it up you know it's funny because on the show i think i talk about like non-violent games a lot and everything and i know i've probably made fun of call of duty in the past i know i did on the forums a few times but people may not know this. I love the Call of Duty games. I, I mean, I was, you know, addicted to Modern Warfare 1 and 2. And I really like Black Ops, but never got into the multiplayer. So when I saw this, I, I just ran out and got it. Uh, also picked up Bravely Second for the 3DS. I had texted you about that, Rich. Yep. The official Nintendo was selling it on eBay really cheap. And I also grabbed, this was a real impulse buy, but... I kept seeing the Fire Emblem game, Fire Emblem Echoes, uh, the limited edition, kept going in and out of stock, and it was always, it was up, then it was sold out, up, sold out, and it went up on Amazon for a decent price, and I was able to snag a copy. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even intending to buy that game, because I was kind of disappointed by the previous one, but I grabbed it, and I'm glad I did, because when I looked into it, this game is actually a remake of a spin-off game from back on the Famicom, so wow. it's very different from from the previous two main series games so i'm glad i got it cool man um also grabbed a couple ps3 games uh i got borderlands a pre-sequel mm -hmm. and i got the last two atelier games that i didn't have which was uh eska and logi or logi i don't know how that's exactly pronounced and uh atelier shally i love those games i think i have them all on the ps3 now there's i have seven of them so <laughs> <laughs> that's a great kind of pastel colored anime jrpg just relaxing pleasant cute beautiful amazing series of games so the for the ps4 games i, I grabbed uh anima gate of memories I, uh assault suit lanos yes good game 
Yeah, really cheap. Twelve dollars, brand new on Amazon. I have it too. Um, PS4, but I have it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, I got Atelier Firus, uh, another Atelier game, obviously. I got Attack on Titan, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, Call of Duty Blobs 3, Call of Duty Ghost, Digimon Story, Cyber Sleuth, uh, The Dishonored Definitive, Doom, Fallout 4, Final Fantasy Type-0 HD, God Eater 2 Rage Burst, Gravity Rush Remastered, and I will tell this as a tip to people who haven't figured it out yet, the PS4 is region-free, so for those who don't know, the Gravity Rush Remastered, a physical copy of that was an Amazon exclusive, mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard to get now, and it's pricey, and it'll run you, you know, 70 bucks Ooh. maybe. But if you go on eBay and just search Gravity Rush Remastered, you can get the Chinese version for $20, and it is in English with a bare minimum of Chinese voice acting, but all the text, everything, and it's there's very little voice acting in the game to begin with. All the text, 100% English. So I grabbed that. Mm-hmm. Um, I got Homefront the Revolution, and I got Wolfenstein the Old Blood. So yeah, I got a ton. Oh, and because I've been on PlayStation Plus for however many years, and I always, you know, commit to everything they offer so I can have it if I want it. The first night I had my PS4, I set everything I've ever gotten off <laughs> PlayStation Plus to download. Jeez. And the next morning, I had 109 games wow. on the hard drive. <laughs> so uh, that one terabyte hard drive was half full by oh, the first man. day I had it. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I did play quite a few of these games already. So nice. I was able to delete some of them. So Very cool, man. Yeah. So I think that's it for me. Thank you for giving me that chunk of time there. But Rich, uh, I'm dying to hear what else you got. Oh man, that is a slew of pickups this uh, this month. Um, I'll start off with some vinyl pickups because they're video game related. I picked up two releases by Mondo, uh, Castlevania One and Two vinyls, uh, which I'm really excited about, especially the Castlevania Two vinyl. Um, Castlevania Two is my favorite Castlevania game on the NES. Okay, stop throwing tomatoes, but uh, yeah, <laughs> um, the, the music in that game is awesome, and I don't think anybody can disagree with that. I also uh, pre-ordered Data Disc Gunstar Heroes that just came out, so that's their, I believe, twelfth release, and. I have that entire set and just going to keep collecting that so far. They do some great Sega tunes um, and so pumped about that. One non-video game vinyl I picked up, but people I think will appreciate, is um, they just reissued all the later Iron Maiden albums. And I've always wanted a copy of Fear of the Dark. So I actually got to pick that up, um, which I'm really, really excited about. The original pressing of that album, because of the time it came out, is super, super rare. And it's going to run you, you know, somewhere around 80 bucks. So, uh, yeah, I don't pay that much for records. So uh, I was happy, happy to have a reissue of that album. Speaking of PS4, I still don't have one. And uh, (laughs) this is really crushing me right now because Friday the 13th was released, as you know. So, uh, yeah. Everyone's playing that except Rich. Uh, Still waiting on my physical copy for PS4, but I do have the download code, so I could be playing it right now, but uh, I'm not. However, I did pick up two new PS4 games. Uh, Nice. I picked up a game called This is the Police. Uh, Do you guys know about this game? I have seen the cover, and I've that's as far as I've gone about it. How about you? Yeah, it's kind of a minimalistic art-style game that's in the vein of... um, 
I guess we'd call it like a strategy game, like SimCity or something like that. Uh, you're a retiring, or you're being forced out, a uh, police sergeant by the mayor who's kind of corrupt, and uh, you basically have to uh, control the police force and send them out on calls and things like that, and it's a very kind of heavy strategy-based game, and which, which I really like. And so, yeah, um, you should check a video out. It might be something you might be interested in. I also picked up Helldivers, uh, which is something that um, I've been interested in. I know it's been out on PS3 for a while uh, as a downloadable content, but I was able to get a copy for under 10 bucks, PS4 copy, and it had the download code for the Vita and PS3 in it. So I was able to download it onto my PS3 to play now. Sadly, I tried to download it onto my Vita, but of course my memory card is full. Uh, yeah. Only after a few games. So I'm going to have to spring for that. What is it? Is it a 64 megabyte memory card? Is that right? Gigabyte. gigabyte yeah, I mean, sorry, yeah that's, megabyte. that's the that's a big one. <sighs> Which sucks. Yeah. Costs as much as the system <laughs> does. So that, that sucks. Yeah. Um, but uh, speaking of the Vita, I picked up This is the Police and Zero Time Dilemma for Vita off of uh, Gamefly. Uh, I can't stress enough like what a great site Gamefly is for picking up games. They run these awesome sales, a lot of times with free shipping on top of it. And, um, you know, it, yeah. they're used games, but they keep all the cases in manuals. And so... Um, the only and the DLC. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt oh, you, no, but no. you got no, right. the DLC codes are unused. And I should mention, I got uh, Doom and God Eater Two Rage Burst that I mentioned in my scores were from one of those GameFly sales. Yeah. And yeah, I've always been like, and and actually the the discs I got from these were like flawless. So are mine. Which yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and so you know, in a world where our GameStop is throwing away all of our stuff, people like yeah. GameFly are actually saving that and see a value in saving it as far as giving it back to people who actually want to buy, own, and collect these games, which, you know, three claps for them. Definitely. Yeah. Um, went to a flea market last weekend, and there's this big vendor there. has a ton of stuff, but uh, just kind of walked away with some completed box Genesis games. They had a copy of Road Rash 2. Uh, I had the game Loose, which we had played in our competition month in December, and I enjoyed it so much. I was like, man, I would really like to have a complete copy of this game. So um, I was able to grab that and a copy of Outrunners, uh, which is basically just another variation of the game Outrun um, for very cheap, uh, complete. And so, so, yeah, I don't know why I bought two racing games. That's odd. I'm not like the biggest racing fan, but... Um, you know, complete Genesis games I do love, and uh, those are some good ones. Um, hit another flea market, and I was looking at some PS2 games uh, at just a, a random booth, and the guy noticed I was doing it, and he said, hey, if you're looking for video games, I got a box back here if you want to look through it. And I was like, sure. Pulled out a copy of Metal Gear VR Missions for the PS1. It's a game I've always been interested in maybe trying out, but I've never pulled the trigger on it because... You know, I just didn't know if it was good, and the price tag is usually around ten to fifteen bucks. But he was like, oh, "Any of these games, two bucks." So, yeah, two oh, two bucks, I'll take it, man. Yeah, <laughs> that game is awesome, by the way. I, I figured it was. I mean, I figured it was just missions. You know, just Metal Gear type missions. You know, it is, one. but there's more to it. There's like there's a mystery mode, and then there's a you play as a cyber ninja mode. Like there there's more than just more VR missions from the main game. It's it's really cool. Cool man, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, so that was a great two dollar pickup. Uh, I didn't find much at that flea market, but I was really happy just with that. I also uh, received in the mail a few Famicom games from over in Japan. I bid a dollar 
on um, two games. One was called Little Magic, and the other was called American Dream. When they sent them to me, I got American Dream and a uh, Famicom copy of Little Nicky. They sent me the wrong one. And they wanted to refund my money for Little Magic, but I was like, uh, if you still got the game, can you send it to me? Because I know this game usually goes for about 12 bucks or so. And so it's kind of like, uh, I want a dollar bid. You know, I want the game if you still have it. So they were nice enough and uh, they did send it to me. I think the issue was not that they were losing money on the, they felt they were losing money on the game, but they just wanted to make things right. You know, um, a lot of Japanese sellers yeah. are very much like that and they really want to keep the customer happy. And so they let me keep Little Nikki and then also sent Little Magic to me. If you're interested in the NES games like Adventures of Lolo, those like little puzzle games, Oh, cool. Um, it, it's very much like that. And uh, just has some little, like, it's a little got the wand, and there's some, like, other little kind of special features that you can do beyond what you can do in the game Lolo. So if, if you like those games, I would highly, highly suggest picking up a copy of Little Magic or uh, at least watching a video, see if it's something you'd be interested in. And then yesterday, I was at one of my local media stores, and I had been eyeballing a copy of Lunar Silver Star, but the game was a little bit pricey. And so, you know, over weeks and weeks, I just been, kind of been going back and I would just walk by it and check it out. Well, I looked at the price tag when I was in there yesterday and they dropped the price by like 30 bucks. And so I ended up picking that up uh, for a great, great deal. And uh, really happy to have that. I haven't played any Lunar series yet, but I do have that game on PS1 and uh, Sega CD, and it's definitely an RPG that I've heard really, really good things about. Uh, have you guys played that series? Absolutely. I have it on Sega CD and for the PS1, and, and the Game Boy version, not so great, but definitely yeah, well. <laughs> would recommend, yeah, <laughs> recommend a playthrough on there. I bet you we get a lot of people who would give it a shot for like a maybe a, a summer of playthrough where we could do Lunar 1 and then do Lunar 2 a couple weeks later. It's definitely worth playing and worth trying. Uh, one of Game Art's best. Yeah, and we've talked about that before, maybe dedicating like two months to one game. It would slow up our podcast, of course, uh, by a month. But uh, yeah, if there's a longer RPG that uh, maybe we're interested in and we can get enough feedback of people being interested in, you know, Sean and I have definitely discussed maybe doing that. Which has been your favorite, do you think, the PS1 or the Sega CD? Which do you think I should try out first? I know typically with Sega CD, that they usually have like better animation, cutscenes, and things like that. Uh, I would say that the PS1 definitely has some qualities to it, but if I was going to go, I would definitely go for the Sega CD version, hands down. Cool. Good to know. And um, my last group of pickups actually just came in the mail today. One of our former co-hosts, Disposed Hero, uh, has put an incredible, incredible sell thread up on RF Generation. If you haven't checked that out yet, you should give that a look. I don't think he has any prices up or anything like that, but I will say that, um, and Sean, you can vouch for this, Stephen has always been awesome with his prices and, and very, very fair as far as what he's selling. Yeah, absolutely. I've been doing trades with him yeah. for years, and easily, out of my top 10 trades, probably eight of them were involved with him, you know what I mean? Like, of all time, so... As he promised he would do before he left our show, he promised Sean and I that he would always give us a heads up before he bumped his thread so that we could kind of go through and look and see what's on there and uh, kind of pick through it. And so I checked it out and I was like, oh, I'll take these three games. And he was like, okay, cool. And then he texted me back later. He said, Rich, he's like, 
I hate to do this, man, but there's this one game I think Sean really wants. This copy of Tale Concerto <laughs> for PS1. Oh, he's that's like, a great like, game. Yeah, he's like, he's like, do you mind? He's like, do you mind if I let him have a shot? He's like, oh, no, man. You know, it's not a game that was super high on my list. I know Sean's a big PS1 fan. I was like, hey, yeah, no problem. So I said, just kick it back to him. But if he passes, I'll take it. So uh, Sean ended up passing on it. I ended up getting it today. Really, really stoked to have that game. And then also uh, picked up a copy of Super Nintendo Adventures of Batman and Robin and a game that my buddy Cameron had told me about that's really good on Xbox, Curse the Eye of Isis, which is sort of like a Resident Evil game on Xbox, the original. So I think it only came on that system. That's it, man. That's all my pickups. Very cool. Congratulations. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. some really cool pickups in the last month. Anyway, well, let's move on to the next segment of the show. Uh, what are you playing? We'll let our guests go first again. John? What are you playing? Thank you. Uh, let's see here. I'm playing so much stuff. It's funny. Uh, I might try Siberia too. I don't know. But right, <laughs> right now I'm trying to, I just started Enslave back up to make sure that I play through that properly for the month of June. I just finished Harmful Park for the original PS1. Okay. Finished up playing uh, Sexy Parodius, which is very nice. interesting. It has that very nice uh, Castlevania stage that begins with that famous... I think the track I'm thinking of is Vampire Killer, but it may be Bloody Tears. One of those two on there, which is very nice. Yeah. Now, what system uh, is that on? Uh, it's PS1 and Saturn. Obviously, I would recommend the Saturn, but I tried it on the PS1. Okay. Uh, let's see what else on there. I recently picked up uh, today uh, Locks Quest, which is by THQ Nordic, the X1 version. Haven't had a chance to try that. But it's that, uh, I think it originally came out on the DS, if memory serves. Yeah. Or what that was. Uh, the other thing that picked up t- was Injustice 2. I've been playing that on off and on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Persona 5 for the PS3. Yes. And then in a couple days, I'm going to be playing Tekken 7. So I, Oh, and then a bunch of Steam games I picked up I have to do for blog articles like Owlboy. I highly recommend everyone try out or at least watch a video of Owlboy. Yeah, I remember Floyd mentioning that game. Did that just come out or has that been out for quite a while? I think it's about a year now, but it's okay. It's like one of those things where it's, the interest spiked, but it's probably not going to take off in any such way unless some YouTuber picks it up and it just start, starts running with it. Yeah, I've heard good things about that game, so I would definitely be interested in an article about that. Wink, wink. Hey, if not, you can always get... Um, <laughs> shoot, I, name escapes me around. He just put up an article on Gaming on Tablet. I'm sorry, the name escapes me. Gaming on a window. Oh, but, um, oh yeah. Uh, noise Redux. Noise Redux. Noise yeah. Redux. Thank you. <laughs> Very cool. Is that it? That's it for now. There's always going to be more. <laughs> I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, like you're going to laugh. I mean, I'm going to like rattle off like two things. Yeah, I got quite a few too. But actually, I'm addicted. I'm curious how far into Persona Five are you? Because that's one of mine too. I hate to say this, but I I've installed it on the hard drive. That's as far as I've. Oh, way to be okay. (laughs) That took longer than the actual gameplay. (laughs) (laughs) The thing that most people probably don't may not understand, and I'd like to just put out there is I have I'm a member of two libraries, and so all these games I'm playing Persona Five, Tekken Seven, all that stuff is. I mean, it's paid for with the taxes, but I don't pay any money for that. It's just stuff I reserve, and I pick it up and play the games. 
Very cool, that's man. Very cool, yeah. That's a, that's a great tip for a lot of our um, listeners who may be trying to play games on the cheap. No, that's that's a great idea. We I think we often forget that libraries have media uh, such as video games. Uh, I don't think any where I grew up ever had anything like that. But I know like some of the bigger cities and now even some of the smaller cities are starting to pick up on that. So that's great. Especially in when one of the libraries has a sale on games, they put everything. Doesn't matter really what game it is. It's either two dollars or a dollar. Oh wow. Yeah, I picked up uh, what was uh, Tearaway for the PS4 for a dollar. Last time I picked up a bunch of 3DS games, they were a dollar. Very cool. As I think was mentioned earlier by Rich, it's like, uh, it's okay. You know, it's this terrible PS1 game that everyone says is total junk, but you know, it's a dollar. I'll pick it up. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me do my best Sean voice here. (laughs) Sean, what are you playing? (laughs) that was pretty good um so yeah i am also still playing persona 5 i took a little bit of a break from it to play some ps4 stuff which i'll tell you all about in a second but yeah and still i got back into it pretty strongly i think i'm about halfway done based on the in-game calendar and the amount of dungeons i've completed so it's a hell of a game i'm gonna keep going with it and i'll probably be talking about it for another month or two because it's it's a long one so uh i played through i mentioned i picked up the attack on titan game for the playstation 4 and i became probably in the past year an attack on titan fanatic and uh, that's an anime and a manga for people who don't know but i'm i watched the anime the first season came out a long time ago, actually, and it was just extremely popular, and I never got into it. And a friend of mine kept telling me to watch it. Finally, uh, I needed an anime to watch like this year, a couple months ago, and I started watching Attack on Titan, and I just fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, now, what kind of series is that? Is it like Macross type series, or I mean, the name sounds like it. N- no, it's the, it's not mechs. The uh, the premise of the show is that there are these giants called titans, and they're these humanoid monstrosities, and they're almost like zombies. You know, they're several stories tall, and they feed on humans. And the humans have secluded themselves within this city that is um, enclosed within three concentric circular walls. So there's these like levels when the Titans break through the first wall is the first episode and Mm. all hell breaks loose on the outer ring of the circle and they have to fight. And the main characters are these young people who are in this military who use this cool gear to fly around and they're like freaking Spider-Man flying around and slicing up the titans and fighting back it's very cool but uh, it's a very violent show it's very bleak lots of people die it can really tug at your heartstrings. so it's very scary too the titans themselves are very disturbing looking uh man hell of a show um but yeah you would like it rich i think oh i'll have Uh, to check that out man. check it out yeah definitely Um, write that down so yeah, uh, Omega Force, who d- have done the Dynasty Warriors games, made an Attack on Titan game, mm, okay. and uh, it's awesome. My, I think my next article for the forum is going to be about this game, because uh, I played through it, and when it was over, I kept playing. There's a ton of side stuff you can do, and it's really good. It's super, like, perfectly faithful to the anime, and everything is so well represented, and yeah, you can play as all the different characters, and I certainly have my favorites, so that was really cool. 
but yeah, I would, I would recommend this game. And you can get it now. The price is pretty. I think it was a budget title to begin with, but now you can get it for like thirty bucks, brand new. So very cool, man. So I also played through Abzu, which is um, kind of like a journey underwater, basically uh, the game Journey, and you play as this diver who you're just exploring this underwater thing and it's one of those relaxing like meditative stop and look around kind of games it was very cool could just do it in one sitting i liked it a lot i also played uh infamous first light and i have not played infamous second son which is the main game the ps4 launch title that was uh that first light is a DLC too, but I had that from PlayStation Plus, and I know it's a standalone thing that you don't have to have played uh, the main game. So I played through that, and I really liked it. It was short, you know, four or five hours, uh, but it had a good story, good open world, and good powers. I liked it a lot. The other things I've been playing, one of one of which is kind of a, I hate to use the term guilty pleasure because I think it's something. <laughs> Gives you pleasure if you're not hurting somebody. Don't feel guilty about it. But I've been playing this thing called Clicker Heroes. And um, this, sadly enough, is a freaking mobile game. Like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a mobile game that they put on the PlayStation 4 and it's free to play. So that's why I got it. Because uh, I actually had heard about it on the Giant Bombcast. So uh, Dick did probably knows about that if he listens to that show. Oh, um, yeah, so... I heard them talking about it. And I said, oh, this sounds like stupid fun, something I would like. So I started it and played it. And it's it's just a farming mobile game in it with the skin of an RPG on it. So you just see an enemy in front of you and you just click, tap, 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 and that attacks. But then you win gold and then the gold you can hire other people to attack for you. And then the game farms while you're not playing. It's cool. It's kind of like what I was talking about last month with Metal Gear Solid 5. I love games that do things when you're not playing them where you can just kind of set it and forget it. And that's what kind of hooked me in to Clicker Heroes. Now I'm at the point where I'm such high level that I'm not doing enough damage that I have to like not play it for like a week to accumulate enough gold to level up a character that can actually do some damage so because i'm not i don't participate in microtransactions i've never crossed that uh threshold with any game so i'd like to keep it that way if i can but yeah it's fun it's a free game you know if you have a ps4 or a phone uh it's worth a shot i guess and last but not least i'll get i'll get a move on here I've been playing a ton, and I text Rich when when I said, "Can can you believe I'm doing this? I can't believe I'm doing this." But Black Ops Two multiplayer. So I mentioned I ran and grabbed that Black Ops collection because I love those games. But I only played the campaigns back when they came out. I was I've been out of the multiplayer scene since Modern Warfare Two. But when I got this thing, I just, for the hell of it, threw in Black Ops 2, and I'm playing this on the PlayStation 3, because this was before I got my PS4, and I said, "Eh, let me try the multiplayer, I wonder if it's anything like, you know, what I remember it to be, and it very much is, and I really got sucked in, like, pretty quickly, and I went from the point of, like, Oh, what is this like? This is cool. Oh, I'm dead. Oh, well, okay. I'm learning that. Oh, I'm dead. And just getting my ass handed to me over (laughs) and over again to now I'm at the point where (laughs) I'm one of those people. I'm not like a jerk about it, but I'm one of those people like, 
how how am I going to go, you know, 21 and five and we're still going to lose, damn it. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I'm getting good at it, which is fun because, uh, I, I saw that my, like my kill to death ratio was low as hell and I actually got it up to a whole number today and I am very proud of myself for that. <laughs> thank you thank you no i saw i said like i'm playing this game like uh i don't know why like i'm not getting my ass whooped anymore maybe i should look at my stats and my my kd was like you know 0.72 which is not good not great and uh, i worked my way up all the way up to you know having it pretty much even at the moment and i'd like to take it even higher so Soon he's going to be one of those guys that's uh, killing everyone with the knife and just sending landmines behind people to walk back up on. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's never good enough to do stuff like that. I'm just fight to survive, man. I got to say something controversial, especially I want to get you guys' take on this. I believe there's no such thing as stealing kills. I think if. Person A has an opportunity to kill someone and person B also does. It's whoever gets to him first. And I say this because the object of the game is to kill the other team. And also because the amount of times I've said, oh, that's that guy's kill. And then he gets killed and then the enemy kills me too. Because I wasn't like, because I was off guard thinking he was going to get taken out. So the whole you're stealing my kills thing. I don't believe in that. There's no such thing as a stolen kill. What do you guys think about that? I think if you're seriously worrying about people <laughs> stealing your kills and you've got bigger issues. <laughs> exactly. Get your kills yourself. Don't worry about people stealing them. <laughs> I can just picture this guy going, but Ma, he's stealing my kills. I don't know why I read that in like a Cartman voice. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely more important stuff than worrying about uh, stuff like that in a video game. Uh. No, it's for sure. And and I know I'm I'm geeking out about it a little just because I'm I'm like into it now. It's funny. And you know what? As soon as as soon as I level up every gun or I go prestige or my KDR drops or something, I'm just gonna drop it and play something else. But right now I'm I'm just having fun. I'm having a hell of a time. It's just a gas running around killing these dumb kids yelling at each other, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have you tried doing maybe something more of a squad-based one, like Overwatch, now that you have a PS4? Yeah, you know what? I've thought about doing... Because the thing about Black Ops 2 is nobody is playing anything except for Team Deathmatch. Like, you can't go do, you know, Seek and Destroy or anything. Nobody's really doing it. Uh, so to do anything serious, I I would have to play a different game or play something more modern something where i actually had a working headset i i I am definitely interested in that though i think a lot of times i wish black ops 2 was like that because sometimes i see people playing like crap and i want to tell them like hey like if we surround this area or something like you know oh uh, yeah if there was a more coordinated effort most of the time i could see my my games going a lot better so If I could get could a PS4 be cool. before Christmas, it would be kind of fun to have a December of uh, maybe Sight Overwatch uh, playing together on uh, some team hmm. stuff. And Pam, maybe. Pam could teach us all how to play. Oh, that's right. She's into that. Yeah, she's been yeah I know a lot of people who are into that. I feel like I would be late to the party, but then again, I'm playing a 
game that's five years old on an old console. So <laughs> against ten year olds, <laughs> right? <exactly. laughs> who had their parents' old consoles? <laughs> right. I would keep an eye out uh, to cheap ass gamers. They've had some deals going. I think it was Newegg. It may have been someone else, but an e- they were doing it on their eBay site. They were having PS4s, just the regular old model. I think it was one fifty or one sixty. Dude, anything under two hundred, I would jump on. Yeah, I remember seeing that new egg, and it came with Call of Duty. <laughs> it came with, I think, Advanced Warfare, or you know, yeah, Super Advanced Warfighter, or whatever the hell they call it. Well, I mean, one of the things that I'm thinking about is how does Sony corporate combat Scorpio? You combat it with getting more games out. They're saying this is they may have more power, but this is where you're going to play the games. And then you also do a price drop on one of the models, seems to me, or you have increased power of the pro model. Maybe you're a pro with a little bit more speed, maybe a bigger hard drive. I don't know. But something to me screams that the PS4 is going to be pretty affordable this solidity season. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping so. I've been waiting for that price drop. I was anticipating it last year. It never happened. But, uh, yeah, now that the pro's out, I kind of want a pro. I think that's kind of the way to go if I'm going to go. So now I'm looking for a pro that's under $200, right? So, yeah, it, it continues on and on. The struggle is real. Yeah, you'll get it. I didn't. Th- I thought it would take me longer to get it, but just a series of circumstances made it happen. So yeah. it'll happen for you. Well, I did just get a letter in the mail today from the IRS saying that they owe us a, a nice sum of money, so maybe that'll go toward us. Oh, cool. I know. You get those letters from the IRS, you never expect anything good. This is the first one I've ever had that was good, so that was good. All right. I'm waiting on you to ask me, Sean. <laughs> oh, what am I supposed to ask? Oh, hey, Rich, tell us, what are you playing? Well, Sean, uh, <laughs> I've actually been playing a little game known as Siberia. Or the past month. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> More like a month and a half. I did start playing, uh, finish the first two chapters of Enslaved, which is our game of the month for June, which you'll be talking about at the end of the call. Cool. Uh, I should get on that, huh? Yeah, man. Hey, it's a fun <laughs> game. I, I'm enjoying it. You, no, it's you a great it before, game. Though, so. I've played it before. I got to play it again yeah. for the playthrough, though. Yeah, so I, I am enjoying it. The, the very uh, beginning of that game is super, super action packed. And I um, can't remember what game we were playing. Oh, it was uh, Uncharted, where the jumping mechanics and stuff were kind of a little off and kind of awkward at times. Obviously, this game has well approved upon that. It just feels so nice. And uh, so natural, so that's one thing I'm really digging about it. Won't talk too much, because I know that's next month's playthrough. Um, But the other game that I've been playing is um, probably about six or seven months ago, one of our site members, Bickman, was um, asked some questions. Somebody got the answer right. He was going to give away a a free uh, 3DS code. Of course, I didn't have a 3DS at the time, so I've been hanging on to this code for uh, Shantae and the Pirate's Curse. Have either of you guys played any of the Shantae games? Absolutely. I, I skipped the first one, the one on the Game Boy Color. Right, because it's like $400. Yeah, that, something tells me that's <laughs> going to be hitting a virtual console or something with the Switch. I'm, I'm way, for, way forward. Yeah, I'm hoping to. Uh, I played through the most of the second one, and I finished the third one, and I haven't tried the fourth one. I know that Russ really liked the latest one that was on. That was one of his favorite picks of the month. Have you had a chance to try any of them? 
Uh, I'm playing Shantae and the Pirate's Curse now, and uh, I really, really like it. If you like platformers, it's great. It has a little bit of a Metroidvania style where you learn new techniques and can kind of go back through the different levels and stuff, which is kind of awesome. And it's not an excessively hard game, I would say. Uh, you know, most of the bosses have a fairly easy to figure out pattern to them. It's really cute, has a good story, and um, it controls really, really well. I was shocked. The the jumping and, uh, you know, especially for like a handheld game, I always feel like sometimes uh, because the screens are so small that the platforming can be kind of tough. Uh, but this game feels like really solid and natural, and uh, I'm enjoying it a lot. Sean, have you ever played any of these? I have not, but this is a series, for some reason I've seen, I think, 7,000 YouTube videos about every game in this series, so I'm, I'm pretty familiar with it that way, but I've never actually played one of them. I don't think I own any of them either. I could emulate the Game Boy one, but... Uh, yeah, Half Genie Heroes on the Vita, and then, okay. and then uh, the Pirate's Curse is on 3DS... And so, yeah, man, um, solid, solid game. If you enjoy platformers, uh, especially action platformers with some, you know, fairly easy to figure out puzzles. It's nothing, you know, that's going to tax you and waste a lot of your time. And some, you know, really fun boss fights and uh, some good artwork. And you get to play the female character. So I know that's right up there. Excellent. That's all you got to say. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, a high recommendation for me, Shantae and the Pirate's Curse. I'm playing through that now and uh, really enjoying that. So that's about it. They uh, came out on the PS4 too, I believe. I know that Limited Run did the second and the third game as physical copies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Cool. Did anybody else uh, pre-order Papyrium? What is it? <laughs> Papyrium? I don't know why they named it that, but it, it, you're familiar with Pure Solar, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, I, yeah. I, I have that. <laughs> okay. It's coming out in September, supposedly, which, you know, it's Watermelon Games, but who knows. It's their Streets of Rage-like game. Apparently, it has a, their own sound hmm. chip within the cartridge. What? Yes. It's got, wow. Look, go to, uh, look up Paprium and the game on there and take a look. It's a little bit on the high end. It's about 70 bucks for a regular copy, CIB, and about 100 for a limited edition. But it looks to be really good. And listening to some of the music that they're getting out of the Genesis, especially with an add-on sound chip, is amazing. Wow, that's awesome, man. I'll have to check that out for sure. Yeah, it's apparently too big to beat all at once. So it's a Streets of Rage with a save setting. Wow. <laughs> Very cool.
Alright, so uh, let's talk a little bit about Siberia. Before we get into the game, I do want to list the participants who played with us this month. There were the three of us, of course. Buried on Mars played again with us this month. Crabmaster2000 joined us. He's been joining us quite a bit lately. Of course, Dougley007. Pam played with us this month. Metal Fro. And I believe one of our members, Shane, who will be featured on the next Game Room edition front page, uh, joined us for the month. Siberia is a point-and-click adventure game designed by Benoit Sokal. He's a magazine artist who moved into game design. He did a game called Amerizone in 1999. This game was published by Microids in 2002. It runs on the Vertools engine. It was produced in Montreal with 35 people on a budget of only 2 million euros. It was GameSpy Adventures Game of the Year for 2002. It has sequels Siberia 2, which was released in 2004, and of course Siberia 3, which was released this April 20th. It's available on PC, PS2, PS3, Xbox, Xbox 360, Nintendo DS, and also other mobile devices. Before really discussing the game Siberia, I wanted to kind of start out this show talking about what type of personal histories we have with these types of point-and-click adventure games. So, Sean, I'm going to start with you this time. What is your sort of earliest memories of uh, point-and-click adventure games? Yeah, it's it's extremely clear to me. It's a very important memory to me. And I think I've talked about it on the show before, but Escape from Monkey Island on a DOS PC... I mean, that was my family's pastime for like four or five months, uh, whatever period it took us to beat the game. But that was a real awesome like family affair. And I remember, I will never forget this puzzle. The one spoilers here, but you have to, (laughs) you have to use the grog, which is the drink that the pirates drink. Mm -hmm. And it's so nasty that you can use it to melt a lock But you have to travel very far. You have to run like a long distance to pour the grog on the lock. And the grog is melting the mug before you get to the lock. It must have taken us two weeks, I'm telling you, (laughs) to figure out that you have to have multiple mugs in your inventory. And you have to pour the grog from one mug to another as they melt Mm -hmm. to get the grog to the lock. And I'll never forget that. Um, that whole game, like the sword fighting insults, the, you know, the, the opening scene with Guybrush being underwater. I mean, oh man, what a great game. And I've, I haven't replayed it to this day. I haven't played it since I was a kid. I must have been, I don't know, 12 years old at the time. So that's my most solid memory of a point and click. After that, we did play Loom, but we didn't like it as much and we didn't finish it. I really like the sound in that game. It's a very musical-themed game, uh, but it just didn't do it for us in the way that Monkey Island did. So that's about it, honestly. As far as me and point-and-click adventures, they're not really my thing, except for that specific time in my life when it was, like I said, it was a total family affair, and, and we loved it. That's very cool, man. Uh, my memory um, sort of similar. I mean... Not that it was a family affair, but it's a very vivid memory I have. And I think with point-and-click games, as you were mentioning, they're they're so like lengthy and it takes so long to figure them out. They're, they're really not games that are meant to be played in a, a quick amount of time if you're playing it for the first time and don't you know, know how to go through the game, which I think might have been one of the issues that might come up as we're talking about Siberia. 
but I was in the sixth grade, 10 or 11 years old. I met this kid at school. He was a very, like, different sort of eccentric kid, and we just kind of hit it off. Really good guy. I mentioned on the show before, I didn't have a PC until I was a senior in college. My family never owned a PC. It's just something that, you know, we couldn't afford and was just something that my parents didn't see as important at the time when I was growing up. We had a a complete set of Encyclopedia Britannicas, of course, you know, to look up information (laughs) in. But I think, uh, you know, stress on technology wasn't really important to my parents. Well, this kid at his house, he had, I actually had to Facebook him today. He lives in Hawaii now. And I had to find out what kind of computer he had. He had a Tandy 1000HX. And I would go to his place and we would just sit in front of that computer for the weekend. I would spend the night with him like Friday and Saturday night. And we would play King's Quest II, Romancing the Throne from 1985. And the original Space Quest, the Saurian Encounter from 1986. I mean, it was just such an ordeal. Like, we would probably only figure out, like, one or two things over the course of that entire weekend. Now, we did other things besides, you know, just play this computer game during the weekend, went outside and and did things. But at the same time, it was just like this kind of slow-moving process that, you know, as we were friends throughout, like, three and four, five years, like, we would just figure out new pieces to these games. We're talking about a time that was pre-internet before you could look up solutions to a lot of these problems so these games are very like type based like open this look at that and so it took quite a long time to figure those games out and as boring as that may sound to some people that was something that was very exciting to us because just figuring out these few things in the course of a weekend would just get us really excited and uh you know pumped up about these games I decided to save you last, John, because for some reason I think you may have a really exciting personal history with point-and-click games. I'm not sure about exciting, but I'll, <laughs> I'll try and keep it that way. Uh, yeah, I started out with the Tandy 1000 uh, SL, got from my mom for Mother's Day. I don't know why we originally thought that a computer is a good Mother's Day gift, but... <laughs> <laughs> we ended up getting this, and as soon as I figured out that, hey, this thing plays games, I started playing all sorts of games. I started out with King's Quest One. I. I actually got six for Christmas one year, so I ended up playing one through six with a group of friends that I had at the time. I played a lot of the Tex Murphy adventures, because most of the time I was living in Utah, which, as you probably know, big for access software, where okay. Texas Murphy was based. You know how everyone always has an uncle that worked for Nintendo? Yes. Out there, it's always my uncle works for Axis Software, and he knows the actor who plays Tex Murphy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mean, I had ended up playing all the Lucas Arts adventures, all of the Sierra adventures on there. I had even uh, hooked up with their. Oh, I'm trying to remember their network, but to the dismay of my parents, I was making long distance phone calls to Sierra Online in California in order to play their <laughs> games over a modem. Wow. So, yeah, I, if it's an adventure game, I've played most of it. I stopped right around the time of 1998. Grim Fandango was probably the last bastions of the old guard were dying out, and we started mm-hmm. entering in uh, everyone's favorite mist-likes. Have, has anyone played a lot of mist? I have not. My wife and mother-in-law played it, but I never have. I haven't, but uh, one of my roommates my senior year in college had to play mist as a part of one of his comm classes, which was really odd, but yeah. They did. I would have taken that class. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering why I didn't. <laughs> yeah, 
in regards to Siberia, I, don't, I haven't tried Amazon or is it Amazon or Marizone? Uh, I'm not sure. I think it's Amazon. I had heard about the new wave of European-based adventure games, but at the time it just wasn't really that interesting. There, I was more excited into the PS1 and the PS2 than any adventure games. How about you? My primary time as as far as playing point-and-click games was, you know, just when I was a kid. I, I guess as I got older and got into college that, uh, you know, games like that sort of felt archaic to me. Um, you know, with new style games, you know, platformers, action-adventure games, and things like that. So, you know, I think those were sort of the games that I kind of put behind me, unless you would consider something like Diablo. I did play that in college as point-and-click. I mean, I guess it is because it is a computer game, but uh, it's not that point-and-click style that I guess we're basically referring to when we, we're looking at a game like Siberia. In a private message, you had sent me um, a fairly interesting article by a guy, um, I'm not sure who it was, but he was sort of a reviewer, and he was talking about Siberia and sort of the um, the score he gave Siberia, which was, you know, not a bad score, but I think it got some pretty heavy criticism from people who are huge point-and-click fans, because I think there's a group of people out there who will just staunchly defend point-and-click games. If it's a point-and-click game, you know, they tend to give it a high rating. It's sort of the same thing with anybody who is a fan of a, you know, specific genre. Do you remember who that article was by? Or uh... I don't remember the author, but I know it was definitely from Rock, Paper, Shotgun. It was a Siberia 3 review where he couldn't even finish the game because there were some bugs with it. Yeah. I think it was part, he can't get part of the first area. Yeah, it seems to have commented at a time where there wasn't much, and the story itself just really stuck with people. Once you get somebody emotionally invested in anything, whether it be a brand or, you know, as in our case, adventure games, people are just going to throw a rationality to the wind and say it's the best thing I've ever had. So it sounds like we all do have a specific history with these sort of point-and-click titles. The commonality that I've kind of seen that I spoke to a minute ago is, is sort of community-based. I mean, Sean mentioned playing with his family. I mentioned playing with a friend of mine. And, uh, John, you mentioned, you know, playing with several friends. That's what, you know, kind of makes the point-and-click game special is, is being able to play it with a community of people who, like, have a similar interest, who everyone's sort of vested in it, and, you know, trying to figure out these uh, puzzle mechanics to it. But, of course, with Siberia, we're kind of left to do this on our own in a sense. Now, we played it as a community, as a website, as a group of people, but sort of the way that we approach these playthroughs is we sort of create the checkpoints and you're not able to talk about that part of the game until you're past the checkpoint as a means to not reveal any spoilers. So, sort of a different way we did it this time around and um, kind of interesting in sort of how that worked out. I do want to talk a little bit about the story, uh, which is, I think is a key element of Siberia. The story basically involves a big city lawyer named Kate Walker who arrives at a small French village to finalize the takeover of an old toy factory. Upon arrival, she's told that the heir to the company is deceased and she's got to locate this next to Ken in order to get him to sign uh, contracts over to this person who's trying to buy the company. Basically, you kind of go through this adventure, you meet this companion named Oscar, who you travel to different areas of Europe on your way to Siberia on a wind-up train. Siberia is supposed to be this fabled mystic land where this heir is said to reside and possibly, as we get a clue, maybe some woolly mammoths still in existence. 
I think the game was praised a lot because it's sort of not this physical journey. You know, you're, you're riding on the train and going to different places, but it seems like the character in this game goes through a sort of a self-reflection and kind of has a different outlook on life by the time the game's over. Spoiler. And so I think that's why a lot of people kind of bond with this game. And so I wanted to kind of kick it over to you guys and A, kind of figure out how you felt about the story and was there any sort of self-reflective moments um, that you had while playing it? As far as I go on there, I, the overall theme of living a dream, no matter how silly it may be, is far better than living a life without meaning in mm-hmm. how much we are hindered by our, our own technology. In the age of globalization and everything has to be faster and smarter, how much of it really matters is what it was. A lot of us asking. It was also very much a nostalgia piece of looking back at the 20th century as we're going from Paris and then we went to Germany and Mm -hmm. then we went went over to, uh, well, for better or worse, really weird parts of Russia. Yeah, yeah. The story of Hans, this pure soul... I guess one of the better examples I can think about is when you end up in Russia, you see this technology by itself can become perverted or twisted and used for war in of itself. And what does technology mean? I really like how they use the automatons to sort of draw a little bit of an air of mystery about it, but not quite run out and say, hey, look, everybody's robots. It's not quite going full on David Cage. (laughs) yeah that's true how about you sean how did you feel about the story oh man it's hard to follow up john's commentary there that was pretty good yeah well i i will just say that it's it's the first game that went for and tried to explore the human condition in its story and uh, while a lot of literature does that being the first game to actually do so and have more of a story than you're doing this because you're searching for the Holy Grail or you're searching for a certain item. It draws a lot of broad strokes at places like, I mean, you're dealing with quotes from, uh, I don't think it was the New York Times, but I think it was CNN and uh, USA Today can relate to. And that's what part of what makes the story so engaging and so personal. Sorry, Sean, go ahead. No, very nice. I mean... I can look at it that way now that you say all that stuff. And I did try to read up on this game, you know, after playing it and trying to figure out what people liked about it. And I felt like I was more drawn to the world and everything, the graphics, um, the art style, the fantasy of it than I was to the characters or Kate's personal journey. And I think Pam probably put it best in the forum by saying, like, these characters are very unlikable, including Kate. There's some parts where, like, when she's talking to the German barge people, I mean, she has right to be frustrated with them, but then she starts being nasty with them. And there's parts where she's like, it's like, even though her boyfriend is an a-hole and... You know, there's a part where you have to just sit there and listen to them argue. And it's like, I'm not enjoying this. You know what I mean? Um, So, yeah, that that all made it kind of hard for me to to look at the big picture the way John did. And it didn't dawn on me to think like, wow, this is a game about the human condition. Like that, (laughs) that wasn't that wasn't what I was thinking. So my hat's off to you for for (laughs) seeing through that to, to get there. So. Well, you know, Dougley didn't even hear those at all because they cut those out of the DS version. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's definitely something we'll mention the DS version, yeah. Uh, none of us, I assume, played that. I played um, Xbox. What did you guys play? Yeah, I was on PC, and I was excited after Diablo. Uh, I was really excited to play another PC game. And like I said, the presentation was brilliant. It's certainly a, a joy to look at. Obviously, we'll get into graphics and stuff like that. But yeah, PC for me. How about you, John? Yeah, I played it on the PC as well. I figured that, hey, it's a point-and-click adventure. It'll be easier. And I had read some that there were some problems with the Xbox and the PS3 re-release where hmm. controlling Kate with the analog stick, you can actually get her stuck on objects. I never had that problem. Hmm. I, I did get stuck at one time. There was a bug in the first part of the game where you uh, you go onto the train and you have to set the mammoth down and you're supposed to set the, uh, the, the piece of the music box on mm-hmm. the, that little stand before the train will go. I did not pick up the music box after it had finished playing. Just didn't think about it. But luckily, you know, I, I was running a save that was probably only about 20 minutes behind. And um, I set the mammoth down and I would try to leave the room and... As I would leave the room to go to the only exit where Oscar was, my character would automatically turn around and go back. So I don't know what the problem was. And maybe I could have fixed that bug had I maybe picked up the mammoth Hmm. again and and gone through, you know, because I I guess, you know, it's saying that these things need to be done in this like sequential order. And uh, maybe that's what was drawing me back into the room. I don't know. But that was the only bug that I ran into in the game. But I had heard that some other people on the forums had a little bit of trouble and ran into some sort of glitches during the game that were playing on Xbox. But yeah, um, Dougley, uh, bless his heart, as we would say here in the South, played on the Nintendo DS and said it was just a train wreck. So... uh, uh, what I understand Pun intended. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, but I, I don't think it's a very cheap game to find on the DS. I think it's a little bit pricey. And um, yeah, stay away from that at all costs if you're intending on playing Siberia. Uh, but kind of getting back to the story and to kind of bring it back, you know, John, I mean, that's that's an incredible reading of the game. And I'm not sure who it was, if it was you, who had posted some uh, stuff on the forums as well. And I'd clicked and read and, and, and read about some of that stuff and how this was one of the first games to sort of address issues of uh, mental illness, uh, which obviously, you know, the characters Momo and Hans exhibit in the game. But I agree with Sean in the aspect of the characters sort of ruined the game for me and really didn't let me see that bigger picture that you're, you know, that you're referring to. I think I got bogged down in the dialogue. This game was, um, uh, the guy who did it was Belgian. And I think that some of the dialogue was a little bit lost in translation. I think that the, some of the inflections from some of the characters and some of the speaking parts the bad thing is like a lot of times this stuff is recorded separately like characters will you know do their voice dialogue separately it won't be in the room and do it at the same time so the inflections are kind of way off and i felt that way especially with kate probably my favorite character in the game was oscar the automaton he provided like some sort of at least comic relief but yeah i felt like this whole relationship with her and her boyfriend calling and you know the way her boss was addressing her and you know how she like kind of played down to him you know that was kind of sad and I guess that's the point they're trying to make but I don't know I felt like a lot of it was just poor dialogue in some points oh I absolutely agree that some of it was lost in translation 
I really did like Oscar as a character. I've read somewhere someone called him uh, in relation to a certain character from <laughs> yes, a galaxy far, far away. And yeah. I was like, yes, I could definitely see see a protocol droid in, in his future. You're right. I mean, no character really has a moral high ground on here. And in some ways, it's sort of nice. There's no savior. Everyone's just <clears throat> sort of going through what they're going through. Kate goes through a priest's personal belongings within the first five or ten minutes and finds his key <laughs> and his confession. And I mean, it's just, in parts of it are just regular video game absurdity. Sure. But, but in dealing with this, the whole point in realizing is all these things that were important to me just don't really matter. I want to give my life meaning and to give myself meaning, even if this dream of riding a mammoth is silly. It's something worth doing, and I think that point is illustrated the best at the end. Uh, spoilers here for anybody who hasn't uh, finished <laughs> it. That it, she's just sort of like, "Here's a contract. Uh, would you please sign it?" And he's like, "Okay." And even telling Hans that his sister is dead, he's like, "Okay." There's just sort of like exception of that, and he's so excited for the train and to continue right. his journey. It's that type of stuff that I find interesting from. I think you pronounce it Benoit Sokal. Yeah. He has a very somber tone for everything, which I'm sure you've noticed with that one very low playing melodic. There isn't a lot of music in this game, and just anything mm-hmm. that is accentuated, with the exception of the Soviet Russia, very high, you know, makes you want to march music is... <laughs> Okay, well, maybe that's a little bit of exaggeration, but, you know, very communist Russia-type music that you'd expect. It's very low and very melancholy, which is his style. It, the same thing happens in Amerizone. And you've played Amerizone? I haven't. It's on my to-do list because I can't just say, you know, it's bad because it's bad. I, I have to know why <laughs> on there. It's something, something, something I go to. You know, good games are good, bad games are bad, but it's important to know why and to play everything. That's why I like Slacker's mentality so much on there. He's willing to try anything. I just go, it's it's not my wheelhouse or it doesn't matter. It's like, if we are truly going to say that a video game are art and to be entertainment to be consumed, then we have to be allowed to look at their full spectrum of what a video game is. You are definitely speaking my language, and I agree completely. I've mentioned it on the show before. I gravitate to games that people trash. Part of me wants to rebel against that, and part of me wants to turn my nose up and find redemption in these games that are utterly trashed. And, of course, I've found many games that are perfectly fine that people just destroyed critically. So I agree with you completely. Don't just take it at face value, you know? Absolutely. So getting back to the characters, which it seems what we've sort of gravitated to sort of naturally from talking about the story, I'm kind of interested to hear you guys take on the phone calls. You know, I think these phone calls that show up in the game are very intrusive, but I think in a sense are meant to feel that way and be that way because that's sort of the point the story's trying to make as far as, you know, modern technology is concerned and life in the big city, which sort of juxtaposed in this game when we think about Kate's life in New York. You know, we get these phone calls from Dan and from her friend Olivia and Mr. Marson, her boss. There's this one call from Olivia where she's talking about how she bought this sweater or something for like 200 and something dollars and she can't believe it was on sale. And as, as you're playing the game, you, you're sort of, you know, running around, you're trying to figure out these puzzles and, you, and you're get, getting ready to get to like a point 
Uh, it seems like an important part in the game that you're rushing to, and then all of a sudden you just kind of stop, phone rings, and you pick it up. It's not an option that you can or cannot answer the phone. It's just something that's built into the game that you have to do, and so I'm kind of curious to hear you guys' takes on those. With in regards to the phone itself, it's a replacement for the internal monologuing that had been used maybe a little bit overused within some of the previous games. And it's something that I definitely appreciate, but at the same time, it's very one-sided because you get a stimuli and then you get Kate reacting to it, where it would be sort of nice, at least hearing Kate's thoughts going, well, this seems pretty messed up. I just got here, the person's dead, (laughs) and now I'm sitting here on a wind-up train with this guy who's very stuffy about protocol and is not doing it. And you don't ever hear Kate just thinking, this seems pretty messed up. But in some ways, I definitely agree with Pam that I would like to see more of that, more of internal monologue about what Kate thinks to at least flesh out herself as a character. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm sort of thinking that a lot of this game had a lot of tongue-in-cheek stuff going on. If anyone remembers the hedge maze that wasn't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And this the old video game trope at the beginning where... It's like, oh, well, I'm going to have to go through this hedge maze again. Gee, I went through every one of these in at least 16 LucasArts games and who knows how many Sierra games. And the key's just sitting there in the fountain. So I think it's doing a lot more in that way to subvert and sort of to give a wink and not go, yeah, we know you're expecting this, but here, take it easy. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, what was the excuse? I can't keep up with this maze because the automatrons aren't here to uh, keep everything trimmed, do the upkeep. That, that's sort of the joke behind that. And I think she calls them robots for some reason. Uh, don't call them robots. Gosh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the first things you learn. Rule one of Fight Club, don't call them robots. <laughs> <laughs> the game's sort of broken up into four segments or areas. There's Valadolin, uh, Berkstadt, Kolm, Kolsgrad, and Arabod. And I'm butchering those names, of course. But it seems that the game's broken up into sort of four areas and you have these very similar things to do of course the objective mostly is to find Hans but then the other objective is that the train stops at all these places and you have to wind the train again and so it becomes this sort of rinse and repeat gameplay mechanic of having to keep winding and winding the train and we'll talk about that when we get into the gameplay a little bit more but I was just curious if there were any other characters from any of the other areas that sort of uh, stood out to any of you. I did not like uh i think it was birkenstadt where the college is where the okay so the like shady captain who had the most god-awful voice acting i've ever heard in a video game (laughs) and was also just uh this shady he was supposed to be the the shady character but he was just this grumbly like jerk you know, it's one thing to play a character as being shady and shifty, which would have been appropriate here, but he was just kind of this mumbling, you know, <laughs> oaf, and the voice acting was horrible, so that was definitely one I didn't like. And I'll just chime in and say, by default, I also liked Oscar the best, but even he had his problems. Actually, that was the one point where I could identify with Kate Walker was when she got annoyed with Oscar for all the BS that he did, made her do with running and getting a stamp on a train pass and all that nonsense. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, at some point I wanted to take Oscar out in that field like those guys did in office space to that fax machine. <laughs> <laughs> all the protocol was kind of annoying. 
All right, how about you, John? Any characters that kind of stood out that you uh, enjoyed or specifically disliked in the game? A lot of the characters did stand out by themselves, particularly because there wasn't a lot of characters to begin with. A lot of the environments in some ways seemed post-apocalyptic. They were so sparse or... Someone had mentioned where the German university, whose name escapes me, where Kate goes and grabs all the books and everything else. It's because of its stuffiness and how old it was. And I'm not sure if you the uh, lectors that you go with and all the stuff that they offered on there was so stuffy. Someone compared it to a mausoleum. Did you notice that the buildings were crumbling around? It's almost like... Again, dealing with globalization, where modern areas coming up upon these, and these are the last bastions of this way of life, or the last bastions of the 20th century. Here comes the 21st century. It's encroaching. It's coming. And, you know, the, the lectors, uh, speaking of lectors, uh, apparently everyone who likes or has to deal with academia really likes lectors and thought that they hit upon. I like their, their stuffiness and their fact that they're like, oh, don't don't knock us for our little side operation here. Yeah, it it is very um sort of telling that they're stuck in their own little world or their kind of like little universe, right? Um, you know, things are kind of going on outside, and like you said, the place looks like it's crumbling. That you know, there's overgrowth. The aviary in Barrackstock is uh, being taken over by these um, the cuckoo birds, right? And uh, yeah, I mean, they're just totally so egotistical that they're just sort of stuck in this little world of their own that they've created and, you know, uh, sort of almost totally oblivious to the outside world. I did mention that um, Benoit Socal, um, one of the things about him and, and what you pick up on this game, and we can go ahead and talk a little bit about the graphics, is that the game is is very beautiful. I mean, it's a really pretty game, but mechanic-wise, it definitely suffers. I feel like it's that case where you've got someone who's so good at something like art, but just doesn't understand the idea behind a point-and-click adventure game. Um, When you go through screens in this game, it's very disjointed. There's some places you can go in, some places you can go out of, and some places that are just blocked off, and you don't really have a good sense of where you can go. You just have to try every side of the screen sometimes, and I feel like a lot of times you almost miss some areas because of that. And if you're missing areas, of course you're missing items that you need to solve puzzles. What did you guys sort of think about the gameplay and the the flow of the game? I really like Kurt Kalata's uh, from HardcoreGaming101.net's explanation he says they spent so much time and they were so impressed by the graphics and they thought that you would be too so they left all those extras in there again it's a new wave it's a new way of doing stuff the graphics were there and then the gameplay was second i think i stated earlier the story was 95 percent. the game was five percent the game itself was just sort of there to further along i mean this could have been a not really a clicker but it could have been almost like a hidden object type game and it probably wouldn't have taken away from the impact of the story one of the things i love on the back of the xbox it says best graphics we've ever seen in an adventure game i think that was the cnn <laughs> quote how about you sean what did you think about the gameplay and the controls I mean, from a control standpoint, it was fine. That's literally just point and click. The pointing was good. The clicking was sufficient. (laughs) (laughs) Good clicking. Yeah. But the gameplay itself, not the, you know, not the inputs of the game, but the gameplay of making Kate Walker 
walk or trot. I wouldn't call it running, but uh, jogging lightly. Um, No, I mean, a lot of people on the forum noticed right away. Rich, you mentioned it even that the first area is full of a lot of empty space. Mm -hmm. Like you have to walk four or five screens to do one thing. And, uh, you know, I think that hit a lot of us pretty early on in the game and it it gets a little bit better in certain areas, but uh, definitely agree that they focused on certain things a lot more than than others here. So yeah, and when you have a run button that isn't much of a run, as you mentioned, but more of a trot, it's interesting that the screens like have different depths to them. You know, some are really short, and some are like very elongated. You know, which you'll have like a, a view from you know a much further distance. But to travel the length of that screen can sometimes take over 30 seconds, even at like a full run. And so when you have to go through four or five screens, it really is um, it's a very arduous task to do that. I have to admit, at the beginning, I was kind of really high on it. I was really trying to stay very, very positive, uh, maybe to even some people on the forum's annoyance. <laughs> but, you know, I was trying to say, okay, if you need to look at a playthrough... Look at a playthrough, but try to put it down if you can, and really let the game come to you. Because with point-and-click adventure games, of course, they're always made up of puzzles, and part of the experience is struggling a little bit and trying to figure out these puzzles. And for me, thinking about when I was a kid, that's what made it rewarding. I would figure these things out, and that was the joy I got out of playing this game. So, you know, again, I've always been the person to say, and then Sean as well, you know, play it how you want to play it play it how you're going to enjoy playing the game but at the same time i sort of felt like with this game you know i wanted people to try to give it a little bit of a good old college try before uh you know picking up some sort of walkthrough but i'm not gonna lie i had to pick one up a few times in this game and uh it it did have a lot to do with the uh type of gameplay uh just the arduous task of running from screen to screen to making sure like did i check everywhere did i look for everything and uh that had a lot to do with how the game was designed spatially as opposed to how it was designed puzzle-wise. Yeah, there's a lot of puzzles that really were giving me some trouble there, especially with the astronaut on there. Find that stupid crane candle in order to throw water on him. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Or dealing with the bar on there. It told you to throw in lime, but it's like, all we got here is lemon, so I guess I'll try that. That puzzle was particularly annoying. Oh, that puzzle was a complete bear. Yeah, I definitely had to look through a walkthrough on that. And I couldn't figure out quite what happened, but when we went over to, uh, was it Alabad, I think it was, was the last, one of the last places you go to in the game. Mm-hmm. Well, what the point of that was, I realized it's sort of this beachside resort, similar to Monaco, that now is gone. I see these ships marooned out there. There's sand. You have to wear a gas mask to go outside. It's like, it's, <laughs> did a bomb go off? What happened here? Yeah, it definitely has that, like we said, that whole idea of, like, at the university, it kind of parallels that sort of idea of, you know, things were once great here. This was once a really great place. And it's something people like Helena Romanski, the opera singer, a, a once great artist, these people sort of hang on to these old world places, you know, no matter what's going on on the outside, you know, as far as war, as far as the state of the world sort of imploding, they're still holding on. And, you know, I think that's just sort of a reflection of the world. You know, Kate as an outsider can kind of see that, but 
these people that are involved in these areas, even the guy at the factory, uh, was it Sergei Borodine, that factory director that's obsessed with Helena, what a freak character that is, and <laughs> sort of a curveball in the game to meet someone like that and to actually have an adventure in this game that is seemingly sort of dangerous as opposed to getting like a contract sign. But these people that are just obsessed in their own microcosms, if you will. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting that. I was I'm not sure if I was the only person who kept thinking Phantom of the Opera when I met him there. Yeah, that guy had a really weird look. He reminded me of, uh, what's the guy in uh, Metal Gear Solid? Is it Mantis or whatever that like has the chairs flying around the room? Oh, that's who he reminded Psycho me Mantis? Of. Psycho Mantis, yeah. that's who he reminded me of for some reason. <laughs> He'll appear as a boss in Metal Gear Solid 6? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the the other thing that I, struck me, too, was dealing with Helena. I think that probably she was my favorite character out of everyone there. Yeah. Of course, you see her trying to be free, and, and spoilers for anybody who, uh, I guess at this point, still wishes to play this game. She gets caged up, and it makes a very good thing of this, this bird who has to be set free and has to pursue her dreams. And you have to convince her of that by, for some reason, making her drink a vodka and lemon. Yeah. <laughs> And then getting her to break this glass to show that she still has worth, she still has value, and that she should pursue her dreams, even in her old age. The other thing that that I was wondering is, I'm not sure if anyone picked up this on Cosmodrome, when the Cosmonaut's drunk, and you give him a bath, he wakes up, but he can't fly because his blood alcohol is too high. So Kate just says, oh, well, it's a needle, I'll just stick my hand in there. Right. (laughs) Did anyone else feel sad? The other thing about it, too, is he mentioned something about loading a nuclear bomb onto this spring-loaded takeoff. They're launching rockets from the same thing that drives a train. How are you going to wind this spaceship up in the middle of space? Right. I mean, I think there is a very bleak point of the game right there. I thought the same thing. I'm like, so we're either doing two things. We're launching this cosmonaut into space to his demise. You know, he's never going to be able to return. Or we're launching someone into space on a spring-loaded launcher to his immediate demise, right? So there, there was something sort of uh, melancholy and very bleak about that part of the game. And for her to be a part of that is very strange. Uh, you know, be sort of like an important cog in making that happen. I mean, she's sending him to his death, but basically that's what he wanted. She's letting him live his dream as being a cosmonaut. But at the same time, there's something like you said, something odd and and disturbing by that part of the game. And I think those sort of dark areas of the game pop up throughout. It's a very thought-provoking game in many aspects of the word.
what about the music? Did, what did you guys think of the music and the maybe the lack thereof? We say this a lot, and I'm going to say it here. It wasn't very intrusive. There were parts of it that I liked, and there weren't any parts that I disliked or were annoying. So that I, I can say as a positive for this game. Yeah, um, I've got some notes written down here. The music was composed by Dmitry Bodansky and Nicholas Varley. I don't know. The music was strange to me. It seemed to kind of go in and out at weird times, and it would get like kind of heightened, especially uh, in Valadeline. It would kind of get real pitchy sometimes, like something exciting was going to happen, and then nothing would happen. It would just get really quiet, and sometimes the music would just completely go away in the game. Hmm. I, I don't really know how I felt about the music. As Sean knows, and something I always talk about, a lot of times music's really good to me if it doesn't really stand out if I don't notice it, because it just kind of blends well into the game. But for me, the music in this game was almost intrusive in a way that just really bothered me. I, I didn't really care for the music that much in the game. It, it just seemed to kind of come in and out at odd and inappropriate times. And there wasn't anything really great or exciting to me about it. It was very bleak, which I guess sort of takes on the persona of the game and, and what the game's trying to accomplish with this uh, internal strife and this journey of this character, Kate Walker. But at the same time, I just didn't find it that interesting. How about you, John? You know, I did like the thematic score that underplays throughout the the very sad tone that's probably maybe a minute long at most. But some of the other stuff I did have problems with, as you mentioned, it, you sort of get a build up and you're thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then nothing does. That got a little bit annoying. I guess that you could draw parallels to in the first part of the game. I was expecting to, oh, if I can't open this door, there must be a puzzle. I must uh, use the banana peel with yeah, the chewing gum. Yeah. And, and then Kate would say stuff like, I can't go down. They're like, I'm just trying to open a door. I don't know what I can't go down there means. It, it was very yeah. weird to get the same air message for everything. In some ways, it's almost like the good parts were there, but they were a little too Spartan. And it's mm -hmm. almost like they were copying and paste throughout. It became a little bit more of an annoyance. But the original really melancholy thematic theme that plays through when you first get to, I believe it's the French Alps, right after the funeral procession is really nice. Yeah. Yeah, just to kind of go back on what you were saying about some of the gameplay elements there. I agree, like, just that over-repetitive nature of if you couldn't use a door or something, I can't do this right now, or, you know, something of that nature. It's like, why even give it as an option? You know, why should you even be able to click on it if it's not going to give you some sort of interaction in the game? You know, it gives you the false sense that, you know, that may be something you can access later. And in some points, that was the case. I know, like, at the train station at Barrickstadt, there was a case where you couldn't go out of the aviary until you had spoken to that guy and sort of made some stuff happen until he unlocked the doors for you to leave. I think you had to speak with Oscar as well. There were points that did play into effect and became part of the story, but there were other parts where a lot of the game and a lot of the scenery and uh, places that you could interact with were meaningless and useless in the game, and I, I felt that that was uh, kind of a shame. That was one of the other things that I should bring up, is there are parts where I knew what I had to do next, but because I didn't talk to Oscar or I didn't get some process that the game wanted me to do, it just didn't happen, and th that got to be a little bit annoying. Did that happen to you? 
Well, yeah, we can talk about that. Let's move on and talk about dialogue choices in the game. You had a very limited list of dialogue choices, right? And some of them were very repetitive. Like, one was, uh, what was it, like, Kate Walker. There's one that was, like, Mission. And there were a few that were standard, and then they would add some extra ones in to go with the dialogue or the story. And um, I'm kind of like you. It was kind of annoying that you had to go through every piece of dialogue sometimes just to trigger the right response and to progress the story. How did you feel about that, Sean? Did you have any problems with that? No, it's funny you should ask me that specifically because this is where when you were talking about using a walkthrough and trying to kind of dissuade people from doing that, that's the exact reason why I used a walkthrough for like 90% of the game because some of those things would just go on and on and on and... Dude, I mean, it was it was getting brutal at some point. So to have a walkthrough that just says, you know, talk to the captain about the mission, you know, like, yeah. okay, done. At least I'll only have to listen to that, you know, so. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No. And, and like I said, I mean, it was one of those things where I almost wanted to retract my statement about not using a walkthrough. And in thinking about it as well, this whole idea of we're trying to do a point and click game in a month. As a right. kid, this was something that a friend and I worked on, like, you know, Space Quest for three, four years at different times when we were together. So, yeah, I totally get it. I guess my fear was that the game would lose purpose and some of the feeling and interaction that it was trying to get people who to play it should feel. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know for you as the person who picked the game and you want everybody to enjoy it, I mean... I feel for you, man, because <laughs> I think, <laughs> like, I know Enslaved Odyssey to the West is an awesome game, so I have no problem throwing it out right. there, and I'm looking forward to playing it. We took a big risk, you know, with playing this game, Siberia. Sure. I, I knew nothing about it, except that oh, it was either. a point-and-click I don't know if I mentioned this in the forum, but I'd like to say that when I lived in New Jersey, there was an Xbox copy of this game in the Rite Aid in my neighborhood, priced at $19.99, and it was there for like seven years. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't mention that. Nobody ever bought it, but the game was always in my consciousness, so I was excited to play it too. So um, I totally understand why you were like, hey guys, like, don't use a walkthrough, try playing the game, you know what I mean? So... Yeah, for me, this was one of those games that was uh, like a $5 game that was sitting in a bin. I looked at the front of it. I was like, oh, well, that's some pretty cool artwork. You know, I really like Mm -hmm. that sort of steampunk aesthetic. Read the back of it. And I was like, this sounds very interesting. So I picked it up and, you know, it had been sitting on my shelf for years. And when we were kind of looking through our collections and making a list of some titles that we might like to play, uh, you know, I just kind of scribbled it down. And I know at the time Floyd was interested in playing it. He really likes point and click and you know more pc type games and you know you're kind of like yeah you know we should try that out because you had a sort of general sense of what the story was and thought it might be good so yeah i mean Mm. sometimes you knock it out of the park with a playthrough and sometimes it's fun to kind of experiment i mean i don't regret picking this game at all i'm i'm glad i played the game and i'm sure that even though some people didn't enjoy the game they might still be glad that they played it like i did It's certainly got a lot of people to talk about it, and that's not a bad thing at all. No, absolutely not. You guys want to talk about your final thoughts and any other things that you want to discuss about the game? Yeah, I mean, I got to say, it's funny what happened last month with Child of Light, and (laughs) 
with Krabby basically like putting on a clinic of how to enunciate in the most eloquent way a negative opinion of a game. And we talked about that last month on the show. And then to turn around and experience this game that I just, I got no pleasure out of whatsoever. And (laughs) that's why like on the show, I'm sorry, like I'm not talking a lot. I just really don't have a lot to say here. And um, I think I said it on the thread. This might be my least favorite game we've ever played. Like you, I don't regret playing it, but it's hard for me to ever say I regret playing something because I will... You know, I'll try to find some good in it or I'll just stop playing it. You know what I mean? So, I mean, yes, I have a certain responsibility for finishing this game for the playthrough. But, you know, we've not finished games before. It's not like a life or death situation. Yeah, It's not a requirement. I think you and I both feel like in order to really discuss these games, we would like to finish them or put forth our best effort. And I think that's what we've always strived to do in these playthroughs. But we do have the sense of if you can't finish the game, try to watch a video of the yeah. rest of the game. Like do your best. For put, sure. Put your best foot forward. But, you know, it's hard to fully discuss a game unless you've finished it. I feel like. Yeah, no, I agree. But yeah, everybody on the forum didn't like this game. It's it's like, it's hard for me to add to that. It's hard for me to have any like emotions about it, you know? But yeah, yeah, I I would not recommend this to people. It wasn't for me, for sure. All right. How about you, John? Any final thoughts or um, things you want to talk about in terms of Siberia? Yeah, I would say that it makes a great case for why games are art. It's something that everybody who plays it's going to get something different out of. If you come at it sure. looking for a game, you're going to get something that makes you go, well, that was sort of dumb. I don't know why I did this, but I did it. But if you come at it looking for a message on technology and globalization, you're probably going to get a lot more of. But none of that comes across when you're searching for cogs and to put in or sheet music to put into automaton. It's, it's not like spelling out. These are supposed to be our relationship with technology and robots, and it's a nostalgic look at 20th century. None of that's screamed out. I think that it's done with a lot more subtle hand when we're mm-hmm. used to looking at stuff as no one's going, I wonder why Mario jumps on those Koopas. What's right. going through his mind? It's not something that we put forward in a lot of the games. But it's also a good thing when we can bring out something like this and it gets people to talk and gets people to think about it. When you bring up stuff, people go, oh, you know, I could sort of see something like that. These are great for that type of stuff. It's also good to go back to the, you know, hey, I'm just going to smash these enemies or jump on these Koopas as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a different kind of game. I mean, it's, I guess, the kind of game that you said, it takes a little bit of abstract thought to kind of look past the gameplay, the mechanics, which are very tedious. As I mentioned before, I feel like the game sort of just misses the boat because of the dialogue. I see what the game's trying to do, and I see the overall message it's trying to present. But I feel like that it's so lost in translation. It's so right with flawed characterizations of people and inflections of dialogue that that message gets a little bit lost along the way. And I think that playing this game and depending on what stage of life you're in, like personally, might affect how you feel about Kate Walker in that sense. And I'll use this example. I mean, one of my favorite books is Catcher in the Rye. There's a lot of people who read it and they love it, and they get something out of it, because usually those readers are younger, and they can identify with the character in some aspects of 
going from childhood to adulthood. But then there are people who read it that are older sometimes that will be completely annoyed with it and say, oh, this is just this whiny, bratty-ass kid. And so I think, depending sometimes on what station you're in in life or what part of it, um, you know, if you're at sort of this crossroads in your life where you're struggling with the modern world or with adulthood, that maybe there's a part of that character, Kate Walker, that you identify with and you just basically stuff that contract into your vest that holds a thousand items and go running and jump on that train with her. And that's a good feeling. And maybe you identify with that. I mean, don't we all want to go on an adventure in some sure. respect? <laughs> yeah, in some respects. I don't know if I'm going to go searching for woolly mammoths uh, to see if they're still alive, but uh, I guess that's sort of the point of it, right? It's sort of an unbelievable adventure. And like you said, I think all of us at some point in our lives probably wonder, is there more to life than what we're doing at this moment? But all of us may not be in that position when we're playing this game and so may not identify with it like someone else might. Yeah, I mean, I thought it's an interesting game. Again, I don't regret picking it. I'm glad I played it. I'm glad I can check it off the list. Um, would I play Siberia 2? Oddly enough, I probably would. I think that it's probably not any better as far as gameplay mechanics if I had to take a guess. But I am kind of interested and sort of fascinated as far as where this story goes from here. Either of you guys interested in playing the second part? Uh, you know... I watched a uh, quick YouTube video on Siberia 2, and knowing the nature of the story, it looked like exactly more of the same. And the reviewer was saying that the game had a different tone to it. It was a little bit more urgent. It wasn't just about, okay. you know, this adventure, you know, going out and adventuring kind of thing. There were stakes in the second game, according to this reviewer. I, I obviously haven't played it, so... But one thing that strikes me about Siberia and the abrupt ending of the first game is that it reminds me of something like a game that was made to be two parts, like sure. Shenmue or um, Persona 2 was actually two different games. So yeah, knowing that and just seeing some footage of it, oh man, somebody would have to really persuade me to take that <laughs> road. <laughs> But now, actually, John, hearing, and, and I've heard from other people, what a bad reception Siberia 3 is getting. I'm morbidly curious. Now i got to go watch some YouTube videos and read some reviews of that. Um, just to see. And again, when a game gets trashed, I want to know more. But in this case, it's not because I want to root for it. It's more just, oh, man, I want to crane my neck at a car crash kind exactly of thing. i was gonna say it's like going to a nascar <laughs> race and waiting for a, a wreck right i mean yeah exactly see the outcome well you are certainly right regarding the parts sean it was originally developed to be an entire game by itself but due to how long development was taken they split into two parts that's why it seems abrupt okay yeah i figured that you would know the answer to the question. <laughs> so. As far as I know, they resolved the dialogue tree issues that were in there. So if something's no longer applies, it's either crossed out or it no longer appears on her Kate's notebook. That much I know, but I know they also went for the full-blown, more abstract puzzles, more annoying puzzles in the second one. So people say the first one's the better of the two. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. All right. Well, if there are no more final thoughts on the game, then we'll move on and we'll let Sean discuss our June playthrough, which will be Enslaved Odyssey to the West. 
Sure. I don't have anything prepared for this. This is just a game that I really love. And it was something when we were trying to figure out a game for the month, we were tossing a lot of ideas around and almost having a little bit of trouble agreeing on something at at a certain point. We have suggested lists that we pass back and forth with each other. And I saw Enslaved on one of Rich's lists. And I was like, hey, man, I love that game. Let's just play that. And uh, that was the choice. Yeah, it's a very cool third-person action game. And boy, how many times on this show have you heard me dump on third-person action games as being cliche and overdone in the modern era? But this one, trust me, it's special. It's fun. What you mentioned, Rich, about it being like Uncharted, but you feel like the controls are better. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking the same exact thing when I played it way back, you know, four or five years ago or whatever it was. So that's awesome to hear you say that. And it makes me even more excited to dive back into it. Uh, The game's available PS3 and Xbox 360, I think PC. Uh, It's very cheap. So grab a copy and hop on the forums with us. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Well, I just want to thank our guest this time. Thank you, Addicted, for uh, joining us in this episode, this very somber, toned down, and a little bit off the rails episode from what our discussions typically are. So I appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's always good to uh, wind up the train, as it were, and get his head down the track and talk about it. It it was certainly a good pick. Parts of it I hated, parts of it I loved, and together it made for games, at the very least, I will remember, and that's got to be worth something. Absolutely. I totally agree. Well, thanks everybody for joining us, and I want to thank those members again who participated in the month of May, and I look forward to discussing Enslaved Odyssey to the West in June. Take care. going to do it for another episode thanks again for listening and thank you to everyone who participated in the playthrough and joined us on the forum at rf generation also a big thank you to addicted for returning to the show this month next month we'll play a game that over the years has evolved from an overlooked hidden gem to a bona fide cult classic Fire up your PS3 or your Xbox 360 and get ready to fight and climb your way to freedom in Enslaved Odyssey to the West for our June 2017 playthrough. 
Thank you as always for listening, and we'll see you next time on the RF Generation Playcast. Whenever you're ready. All right. I'm going to go three, two, one, and after that, everybody clap at the same time if we can. All right? Three, two, one. Clap. Close enough. (laughs) Yeah, I'll fix it in post. (laughs) There's got to be a better way to do this. (laughs) Three, two, one, start your washing machines? I don't know. Yeah. Three, two, one, squeeze the cat's tail. <laughs> the cat's meow, push play. <laughs> oh, oh man. <sighs> yeah, I, I know. I'll also start to talk about Siberia, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's fitting, isn't it? Oh, man. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, uh, I really came in wanting to like this, and I appreciate what people get get out of it. But as far as it, it's ninety five percent story, five percent game, and going and expecting a game first and foremost, it really just dragged on for me. Yeah, in call. <laughs> yeah, roll credits. Uh, <laughs> that's the show, folks. <laughs> Fresh meat.